Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to this edition of Floyd Street's Finest. I'm Jack Grossman. Wishing everyone a happy new year. Been a minute since we've been on the podcast. That's, you know, mainly because Louisville had played since December 21st. It had been a really long time since UofL had actually played a basketball game. But I figured with the Virginia game on Wednesday night, this was a perfect opportunity to hop back into things with the new year conference season getting underway, U of L and Virginia just gonna do a quick reaction pod here. Nothing too too crazy, nothing too long, but do wanna get some thoughts out on the little Virginia game and kind of where the cards are now. Losing, yes, again, <laughs> which is probably not too much of a shock to anyone at this stage. Yet here we are, U of L being absolutely handled by the Cavaliers in Charlottesville. 77 to 53 and what for a while felt like a game that Louisville was going to lose and going to lose handily but you know the final score might not indicate how bad it actually was well Virginia ended up stretching it out there late in the game and it, it very much felt as bad as it was for Louisville falling by 24 to a Virginia team coming off a loss against Notre Dame I kind of wanted to well just look I'll be completely honest I was, yeah, I very much ripped the Band-Aid off with my thoughts on Kenny Payne over the course of December. I mean, I don't think it's going to work, and I am far from the only one. That is a very, very fast majority at this point. But even though I, I think it's inevitable that Kenny Payne will not be the coach next season, that I don't know if he's going to make it throughout the rest of this season, how much longer... Josh Hurd will give that leash for Kenny Payne. But I figured, look, Louisville's had 12 days off. They finished the non-conference season. They're kind of at that halfway point of the regular season. 
I wanted to see this was almost like Kenny Payne's last stand in some in some respects, because with the big gap off, with the start of the conference season, this was the last chance I felt like Kenny Payne Louisville had to take, okay, new year, clean slate, fresh start, big break, get better over the break, and maybe put, I'm not going to even say I expected them to put out a good product on the court, but just something that looked increasingly better than what they they threw out there beforehand i mean they just i wanted to see if we could see some sort of tangible improvement from the kentucky game from the disaster that was the middle and end of december to virginia and to pittsburgh this weekend on saturday i want to see are there any new wrinkles on offense are there any wrinkles on defense how would they get better over that 12-day break? Almost two full weeks off. And the answer was, well, no, they, they, they really didn't do much. And that's very unfortunate for Louisville, obviously. It's unfortunate for Kenny Payne that they weren't really able to take advantage to the quote-unquote I know Kentucky or Louisville fans will hate this that I use a Kentucky thing here, but to use the quote unquote can't cal analogy where Calipari kind of gets his team into shape in uh in December of those long breaks that he would have traditionally in that non-conference schedule leading into SEC play. I was wondering if Kenny Big, not that he was gonna pull a magic trick, but just to see if they could. Show something. Show us anything that said, okay, things are getting better. Instead, they got blown out by Virginia. And I want to get into this game. I have a few notes on the game itself. I know we went, we've gone more big picture the last month or so, but I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts a little bit, especially the first half of this game and what went wrong for Louisville, where I think they were trying to attack and what really they failed with, to be quite honest, and and what kind of led to the wheels falling off there late in the first half, and and obviously into the second half, half. Um, in addition to that, where they really never threatened the game in the last twenty minutes. Obviously, well, this is Floyd Street's finest part of the Field of Sixty Eight Media Network. I don't do this part enough. I need to actually plug the podcast and uh, and the Field of Sixty Eight more often. Try to get better at that on my end. I'm Jack Rose, but normally joined by Mark Lieberman. But I just wanted to to take a rip at it here solo. On well, I guess this evening when I'm recording it here on on Wednesday night after the game, and just get through some reactions, some instant reactions to this Louisville Virginia game. I want to start with this. I was asked, I was on you know local show at the round table for a guy uh, James Trebel, ESPN 680 where, where of course I used to work ESPN Louisville um, back in the day. They and I was asked this question doing a hit with them earlier on Wednesday of. How do you think Louisville should attack Virginia? And and can Louisville attack Virginia on offense? And obviously, Tony Bennett plays that pack line defense, that very, very traditional pack line defense, where you know a couple things are going to happen. They're going to hide heads to the pick and roll, and they're going to trap the post every single time. That's what they do. I'm not breaking any barriers or, or breaking any news here or saying anything blasphemous by saying those two things. Anyone that's watched Virginia basketball under Tony Bennett knows they are going to do those two things. Seeing that, I know Louisville was going to have 
to do a couple of things. One, their best offense had been Brandon Huntley Hadfield in the post the last few games. That was going to be very difficult for them to do against Virginia with how hard they double the post every time that the post come or, or that the post feed comes. And you know, Huntley Hadfield only took sh- six shots because of that throughout the entire game. Six shots are rated Huntley Hadfield. So I didn't think that they would be able to just get a bunch of points from BHH in the post. I thought Louisville's best offense were going to come from Huntley Hatfield passing the ball out of the post for open shots, mainly open threes, getting good ball movement off of those post entries, and also attacking the rim on straight line drives. When Louisville's been at their best, they've done three things really, really well on offense. I'm not going to say really, really well, but they've done three things adequately on offense, I think is the better word for it. One is BHH in the post, as I mentioned. Number two is getting to the free throw line. Louisville's been near the top of the country all season long in free throw rate, getting the line and making their free throws when they get there. And number three, it's the fact it's not exactly a free-flowing offense. There's not a lot of ball movement. There's not really any set plays or set or, or set concepts that Kenny Payne's trying to do to get people open. He's quite literally just saying, look, I think my guys can beat your guys one-on-one and get to the bucket and either score themselves or score for others. And Virginia, while they're a very, very good defensive team, I thought could be susceptible a little bit to those straight-line drives, the, the dribble drive, as as one Clark Kellogg and, and Bill Raftery like to call it back in the day. But Louisville was going to have to be really aggressive on the offensive end, and they were going to have to be really disciplined defensively and not give up a lot of easy open shots because Virginia is a team that is not great on the offensive end. Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, London Parentes, Justin Anderson, Malcolm Brogdon. Those dudes aren't walking through that door for Tony Bennett this year. Reese Beekman's a fine player. And they got some solid role players on that team. But they don't have the offensive firepower that they had under Tony Bennett when they were winning the ACC year in, year out in the mid to late 2010s and, you know, won a national championship in 2019. They're just not that type of team. They're a good team. They're a fine team. They're a really good defensive team. But we saw when Virginia played Notre Dame on Saturday. If you're able to get to them on either an off-defensive night or if you're able to hit a bunch of shots, Virginia can't score with you enough to win a game. So I thought, well, I never expected Louisville to win the game, and I didn't really expect Louisville to be overly competitive in the game. I thought there was a path to where UofL would have a shot to, you know, not get embarrassed like they did yet again on Wednesday night in in Charlottesville. And early on, we saw it. I mean, they had in their first two possessions, they did exactly what Louisville wanted to do. They got the ball into BHH in the post. He made a quick, decisive move to beat the double team, got a foul, got a and got a bucket on the first possession of the game, attacking the rim. Second possession, Danilo, Jovanovic, Jovanovic, there we go. Danilo Jovanovic. I've had trouble pronouncing that dude's name all year long, man. And I um, I don't know why. I mean, I, I honestly just kind of want to call him Danilo, but it just feels right to mix in the last name of Jovanovic in there, but I've I've struggled with that one. But again, first possession, BHH, and one over the double team. Second possession, Danilo, 
gets the ball under the basket, sees the double team coming. Very quick pass out to Sky Clark in the corner, wide open three, and he drilled it. Two really, really good possessions, disciplined, aggressive. Those were the type of possessions, not just in the Virginia game, but that's how Louisville needs to play all season. If they want any hope of doing anything, and I know there's not much hope left, and I, I know I have to give that caveat anytime I say it, because quite frankly, I don't believe they're going to do anything, and I know that's not a new take, that's where they're at, but damn it, I didn't get into this gig to talk about how they need to fire the coach all the time every day. I want to talk some actual balls. So that's what I'm doing for at least part of this show here on Floyd Street's Finest Field of 68 Podcast Network on this week's edition. But those first two possessions, Louisville had a purpose. They knew what they were trying to do. They executed. They were confident. And they got results out of it. And if they could stay disciplined, those were the type of plays that they were going to have to make all games. They were going to stay competitive. Instead, instead of that, it's insane to me, and it's telling how quickly they got out of that, how quickly they went away from that game plan. And I don't know whether to blame the coaches, the players, or both. Usually, it's not just one or the other. It's an all-systems failure when something like that happens. Because those two possessions were so good. But then after that, Tyler Johnson, again, I like Tyler Johnson. I've praised him a lot on this podcast. Coach Lieberman and I both have done that. But Tyler Johnson made a really, really poor decision by pulling an early early shot clock three with no ball movement. And Tyler, I love his aggressiveness, especially when he's attacking the basket. He's fearless with the ball. He's fearless defending on the perimeter as well. But that wasn't the time for a pull-up three with no ball movement, especially from a guy that is 6-29 on the season, which is 20.6%. That's not good. He's not a good three-point shooter at this stage. If he gets gets an occasional three off a ball movement that's open a step and catch and shoot shot, yeah, you, you let him shoot it. But you can't be just jacking up threes early in the shot clock, and that's going to be a big theme here because the next possession – Mike James breaks a pull-up three. Jovanovic, the possession after that, misses a pull-up three. Three straight possessions after the good start where you go up, you shoot a contested three-point shot without trying to run any offense or trying to get to the basket or trying to get a paint touch or really even passing the ball. That's pathetic. There's no other word for it. It's absolutely pathetic that they couldn't stick to a game plan for more than two possessions. And that's the type of thing when you look at, you know, again, the personnel, the coach, whatever you want to blame it on, there's a disconnect there that needs to be fixed that I don't think the current combination of coaching staff and players will get that fixed defensively. Let's focus on this. Now, I get it. You're playing without J.J. Trainer, Trey White, Dennis Evans, or Emmanuel Coafor. That doesn't mean you don't get to try on defense. <laughs> I mean, a Virginia team that, again, got curb stomped up in, in, in Notre Dame, up in South Bend earlier this weekend. 
you let Virginia score 1.426 points per possession. That's absurd. And Kenny Payne, look, I'll say this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's three different reasons to switch to a zone defense if you're usually man-to-man. Number one is the Petito method of you're trying to confuse the heck out of the offense by switching defenses, matchup zone, pressing, and man-to-man, all that stuff that, I, that you know, I love, and I'm not alone in, in terms of people in Louisville of loving watching that style of play. But Kenny Payne's not doing that. Uh, almost nobody. And that's not, not, that one's not even a fault on KP. Like, nobody other than Patino really does that. Even Patino doesn't really do that as much as St. John's as he did when he was at Louisville. But you're trying to confuse the offense. Number two, you're doing it as a change of pace to try to slow him down. Or number three, you're just panicking and taking guesses and hoping anything works to try to slow anyone down. And to be fair, that's pretty much what Indiana did to Louisville in the game up in, up in New York in, in November and ended up working for IU. But, man, they tried man-to-man. They tried the 2-3 zone. They even pulled out a 1-3-1 zone. I don't think I've ever seen Kenny Bain pull out a 1-3-1 zone in his two years as the Louisville head coach. But damn it, they tried all of it. I get it. Especially when Huntley Hatfield wasn't in the game. You're really, really small. But you got to put up a better effort. That. And, and on the note of, of the small lineup, when Huntley Hatfield was out of the game. Again, I, I understand Louisville was shorthanded, that they were missing four guys. But when you go small, the purpose of going small is to create mismatches and attacking those mismatches. And creating, especially on the offensive end, you want to create spacing. The idea is you have five guys on the floor that, in theory, can all shoot the ball and are all threats to shoot the ball because you're taking the big, you know, the big guy that's stationary, stuck under the basket, out of the equation to open up driving lanes for, for, your guards, pretty much. And that's, in this case, you know, Tyler, Sky Clark, and Mike James. And Kenny Payne tried to do this, which is a new and different look where his hand was basically forced with with trainer Evans and Corafor all being, being out in this game on Wednesday. But when Louisville's running that offense with a lineup of Tyler Johnson, who, again, 20.6% from three. Sky Clark, not a good three-point shooter. Zan Payne, who 
no offense to Zan Payne, is 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 a walk-on. Like that that's just who he is. He's the coach's son that's on the team that followed him over from Kentucky when 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 KP took the job. Jovanovic, who has been or or not not even Jovanovic, it was my bad. I I'll reset here just to make sure we get it right. Tyler, Sky Clark, Zan Payne, Curtis Williams, who I'll give the kid credit. He had some shots in in this game against Virginia, and he has a really good-looking shooting form, and I think he can become a really good shooter. But on the year, he has not been a good three-point shooter. He has not been much of a threat from the perimeter. Virginia lives with Curtis Williams taking jumpers and taking three-point jumpers. And then Caleb Blaine, who, again, really raw, can, be a re- can develop into a really good player, but at this stage is not a threat to shoot the ball. So, yes. Louisville went small at points in this game, out of necessity. But when they went small, you're not getting the advantages that you want by going small because you have maybe half of a threat, maybe Curtis Williams, maybe Sky Clark as as somewhat of a threat to shoot the three ball. They did put Mike James in, who's you know probably Louisville's best shooter. So that helps out a little bit. But even, even with Mike James in the game, that's really only one certified guy you got to be wary of on the perimeter. And if you're Virginia, yeah, sure, they're quicker with that lineup out there. But you can still play your pack line defense. You can still help off guys. And you can still be a, play effective defense because even though Louisville's playing small and trying to play five out, it's not the same as when Duke plays Kyle Filipowski at the five and and I get it. Not everyone has Kyle Filipowski, but you're surrounding him with four shooters to where Duke plays five out. And there's five guys on the court at one time that can shoot the ball. Kentucky. I know Louisville fans are going to hate that. I say them, but whether Aaron Bradshaw's in the game or when Trey Mitchell's at the five, I would especially use it when they go small with Trey Mitchell at the five when you have Mitchell Reeves, Shepard, um, Wagner and Dillingham all in the ball game. Guess what? All five of those dudes can shoot the crap out of the ball. Maybe not as much Wagner, but they're all threats to shoot. You can't just ignore those guys. Louisville has dudes out there that you can ignore, and that goes back to the roster construction of there's just not enough shooting on Louisville's roster. And that, you know, unfortunately goes back to Kenny Payne, but that was just something that was a different look that I, I know was forced by all the injuries that we hadn't seen from Louisville that I want to hit on because that was something that the idea, I understand where Kenny was coming from. And again, he was kind of forced to do that, but it didn't work on the offensive end and on defense, Virginia, no matter what defense Louisville was in, was just getting whatever they wanted against that small ball lineup. Louisville just had no paint protection. And other than Tyler Johnson, no one really stays in front of the ball very well. So if if BHH isn't in the game and all your other bigs are hurt, you're not going to have the shot blocking on the back end to help take, take um, uh, you know, to, to help out in case of guards getting beat off of drives that you would normally get. So, again, 1.426 points per possession to a not good Virginia offense. Not ideal. And look, I want I want to get to this. Everyone will focus on the 11-2 run to end the first half that Virginia went on. And, and trust me, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I have thoughts on that end of the first half. But I want to focus on a different 
point of time. It kind of piggybacking off the shooting thing here for Louisville. The cards, by the way, were, I believe, 6 of 25 from three. Let me double check that. Yes, 6 of 25, 24%. And Louisville's a team that should not be taking 25 threes. They shouldn't. They're not a good enough shooting team to do that. But when they do get open looks, they absolutely have to make them. And that's what killed them here in this stretch. Midway through the second half, believe it or not, or mid midway through the first half, rather, Louisville's only down 14 to 12. Then Sky Clark turns it over, leads to a McNeely three, gets it to, you know, 17-12. Another bucket makes it 19-12. That gets it to a very critical point in this game. Down 19-12, to 8.47 mark of the first half. Louisville is in a mini danger zone here to where Virginia's kind of gotten its footing. They've settled in. Louisville needs to not just play even here. They need to string a couple buckets together, get this thing back within a possession, maybe four or five points, and and not get it to the point to where things start to spiral, which they ended up doing later in the half. And to Louisville's credit, other than those first two possessions of the ball game, they had three of their best possessions of the night at this critical point. The issue is, they didn't score enough off of those possessions. But at that 847 mark, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, again, facing that post double that you know is coming every single time from Virginia, throws a beautiful skip pass to Mike James for a wide open corner three. Best shooter on the team. Step in three pointer. No one around him. Unfortunately, he missed it. Again, great possession. The execution was actually there to set up the shot you wanted, but it didn't go in. The next possession, again, really good ball movement. You get Virginia caught up in rotations. You get Sky Clark, top of the key, no one within probably 9, 10, 12 feet of the guy. Wide open three. Misses it. To give, you know, Danilo some credit there. Jovanovic was able to get the offensive rebound and a putback. So you get two points out of that, but you don't get the three. Then on the next possession, you give up an open three on the other end. Coming back down the court, good old Danilo uh, Jovanovic is left wide open on the wing. 4-3. Breaks it. And then on the other end, they give up a second chance bucket. That's three possessions. The Danilo three, by the way, again, came off of an actual good possession, a good ball movement, getting Virginia in rotation and doing everything but making the shot. Those three trips down the floor, though, even if you don't hit all three of those threes, you got to hit at least a couple of them to where instead of coming up empty on two of those possessions and getting, again, the, the credit for the putback from uh, Jovanovic there to at least get something out of those three. But you needed that to be a six, eight, nine point three trips. Instead, despite three really, really good possessions on the offensive end, you have a defensive breakdown on the other side and you give up an, an easy putback and you waste those three possessions to where you get outscored five to two. 
And I get it, five to two is not a major run by any means, but instead of it being 1912, and let's say you get two threes and then the Danilo putback for eight points, and you only give up one three out of that stretch, instead of falling behind 24 to 14, double double digits for the first time all night, you're right there. You're down 21-20 if you just hit a couple of open shots and don't have a breakdown and give up a putback. It's the small things like that that cost Louisville so much. And even when they do execute and do get good looks, they don't hit them long enough. And you can say, because there's two points to that. There's number one of, look, if you just keep doing what you're doing, keep having those good possessions, the shots are eventually going to start falling. And I absolutely agree with that. The issue is, other than those first two possessions to start the game and this three-possession stretch, Louisville very rarely was disciplined enough to stick to what they needed to do offensively. And that takes us to the 11-2 run to end the first half, where it was a mess on the defensive end, but you're 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 still kind of you're I'm not gonna call it striking range, but you're down six points at the under four timeout. That's fine. 26 to 20. You're hanging in there. But the Louisville's first possession out of the under four, all they do is Tylor stands and dribbles the ball for 25 seconds. There's no ball movement. There's no player movement. There's no anything until the six-second mark of the of the shot clock where BHH comes up for a high pick and roll. What was the very first thing I said at this podcast about Virginia's defense? The one thing you know they're always going to do. They're going to be phenomenal in pick and roll defense. They're going to high hedge. There is nothing they live and salivate more for than a high pick and roll late in the shot clock. To have that be what you do out of a timeout in that moment is inexcusable. You are playing right into Virginia's hands by running a high pick and roll late in the shot clock with no prior movement for 25 seconds. Shockingly, the pick and roll gets blown up and Louisville doesn't get a good look. Whoever would have thought that would happen? Next possession. Sky Clark breaks the top of the key three. No passes on the possession. No ball movement. No nothing. The next possession. Curtis Williams breaks a step back three pointer. In what world is a Curtis Williams step back three pointer the shot you want in early January of 2024? Again, he can knock down shots when it's off a good ball movement. You can get open. In fact, he did that later in the game tonight. Williams finished. 14 points and he hit four threes four ten you take that but you don't want it to be off of one pass and a step back three-pointer meanwhile on the other end Louisville's taking these awful awful shots and they're having a breakdown in the two three zone where where two easy passes leads to a Reese Beekman wide open three you go back to man and Virginia runs a simple pick and roll and Louisville has a miscommunication of how to defend it to where Huntley Hatfield doesn't switch immediately. Then he switches late, 
which causes both guys to be on the ball handler, which leaves a dude wide open on the back end for a dunk in which nobody pre-rotated back over to help take away the roll man. That's that's an all-system failures on on everyone involved, pretty much. I guess I guess maybe not Tyler in that case because he's kind of left in no man's land once BHH doesn't initially switch or communicate that that he's not going to switch or whatever you want to call it there. But that's on Huntley Hatfield. Just second year of the program, you got to know how you're covering a ball screen. That's on you know Mike James and and Sky Clark and whoever else. Everyone else in the game at that point, you got to rotate over and take away a dunk. Instead, you don't do that, and that's easy three, easy dunk. You get a steal and an alley-oop, and just like that, you go from down 26 to 20 to down 15 at halftime, and all the energy is absolutely sucked out. You're toast. I mean, Louisville's in a position right now to where they're, they're not coming back from that against a competent team. I mean, Virginia's not great by any means, but Virginia, that's what they do. They run out, get a big lead, and then they hide. I, I don't mean that, I don't want it to sound like Virginia's cowardly. They aren't at all. That's just their style of play. That's why, you know, when Notre Dame had so much success against them on Saturday, it was all about, about you know, they got the big lead, made Virginia play from behind, made them uncomfortable, got, you know, got kind of lucky, honestly, that Virginia didn't have that defensive intensity that they normally have. Louisville did not get that benefit of the doubt because I'm sure Tony Bennett was incredibly unhappy for that, for those three, four days in between the games to where you knew you were never going to get that, that same effort from Virginia after the way they were embarrassed up in South Bend. But I thought Louisville needed a quick start and they needed to build a lead to have any chance of winning the game. That obviously did not happen. But once you fall behind double digits to Virginia, unless you're Syracuse in the 2018 final or in the 2018 Elite Eight or 2016 Elite Eight, rather, not, excuse me, with um when they were the 10 seed, they upset Virginia there with the big comeback at the end. You're not overcoming a double digit. You're not overcoming double digits against Virginia. You're just not, even if you're a good team. And Louisville is very far from a good team. So the game was essentially over from that point, which, you know, second half, you guys saw it. Lack of effort, not closing out, bad offense. It was more of the same for the first half. I could I could go on for 25 more minutes and breaking down what I have to say also, but I think you guys have heard enough of me doing that for, for one evening. So... Before we wrap up here, Floyd Street's Finest here on the Field 68 Media Network, I, I do want to hit on one other thing. It's obviously been as much of a conversation as, as the game itself. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the Field of 68, each and every week during the season if you haven't signed up with betmgm yet use the bonus code field 1500 and you will get up to a 1500 first bet offer on your first wager on betmgm sportsbook here's what you got to do download the betmgm app sign up using the bonus code field 1500 deposit at least ten dollars and place your first wager on any game you will receive up to fifteen hundred dollars in bonus bets if that bet loses just make sure you use the bonus code field 1500 when you sign up 
And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The broadcast and Corey Alexander. I mean, I, I'll be completely honest. I I was a uh, friend friend of the pod, Phil Baker over at ESPN Louisville asked me to pop on on a watch along there on ESPN Louisville Plus. So I did I did that for most of the first half. I had some fun with it. Just you know, shot the bleep and and yeah, reacted to the game and kind of got to see everything play out <laughs> in front of it. And it was, you know, something different than, you know, just watching the game either, you know, with friends here in Atlanta or, you know, full disclosure, I didn't work tonight on, on Wednesday night. Most of my friends work. So, <laughs> so I was asked to do that in the middle of the day. They, um, uh, was my friends from work work anyways, but, but so I said, sure, why not? I'll have some fun with that. But, the point I was trying to get to was when I turned the broadcast on after doing that, I saw on Twitter there was some anger about Corey Alexander at, at the ESPN2 broadcast. The first thing I heard was Corey Alexander talking about how Louisville should have given Mike Pegues to coach all of last year before hiring Kenny Payne, which before I get into anything else, I just need to mention how asinine of an idea that is. I mean, the, to think in 2022-2023 that you're going to give a guy a one-year interim tag and say, we want you to be the holdover for the program to try to build it up a little bit before we bring in the guy we really want. Number one, what player is going to stay in that program for another year and not transfer at the transfer portal? How are you supposed to recruit anyone to come in when you know you're not going to be the coach a year later and you're not employing two coaches. Obviously, Corey Alexander was was advocating that it would be Kenny Payne would be the coach in waiting, I guess, which is bizarre to me. But the thought process that, yeah, we want Mike, Be- Mike McGee to just fall on the sword for an additional full season and let Kenny Payne come in after that and be this miracle worker to clean everything up. I think that would make the program... 
that would put the program in an even worse spot than what it was when KP took over. And man, it is hard to be in a worse spot than what it was when KP took over, even though Kenny has made it worse himself, which is another topic. But to say that you should have had an interim coach for a season and a half, what, what are we doing, guys? I mean, I get it. You want to defend KP. That's fine. Let's not speak stupid here. Yes, and, and Corey Alexander is a nice person, I'm sure, and he knows way more basketball than I ever will. I mean, the dude played at Virginia, collegiate athlete, been an analyst for a very long time. I'm He knows ball. But I don't understand why you would take the stretch here and take the, the reach to say that they should have had Mike Begeese be the coach for a year and a half. That's just not how it works in modern-day college athletics. You're not building a program by doing that. You're tearing one apart. You're not keeping anyone off that roster if they're saying, oh, we're just going to keep this guy for a year as a holdover. You're not getting anyone out of the transfer portal or the recruiting trail if you're doing that. But that was just a side point. But but on Corey Alexander as a whole, and, and just kind of the um, taking shots at the fan base and all that stuff, stuff – I saw, before I recorded this pod, I saw Eric Crawford's article on WDRB, his column there. there. It's really good if anyone wants to check it out. He put it better than I ever could. But but Eric pointed this out. Because kind of the thing that I was thinking of originally was, you know, the comparison to Mike Krzyzewski in you know, 1983-84 when they had the really, really young team. It's year two. They're losing. But there's a couple differences there. And obviously there was pressure to move on from Coach K. They didn't, and they were smart as hell to not do that because he ended up being one of the two best college basketball coaches of, of all time, right right next to, next to John Wooden. But and that's, a, and that's a conversation for another day. I, I still put Wooden 1, K2, and then probably um, uh, Patino and Bob Knight, Adolph Rupp. You know, there, there, there's a, long, a lot of different guys you could throw in there after that, but – but in 1983-84, in the mid-80s, one, Duke basketball then was not what Duke basketball is now. So there, that wasn't, while it was a pressure cooker and they had been to a couple Final Fours and things like that, it wasn't what it is, what John Shire is at now, taking over for Coach K because of what Shevsky did, obviously. It's not, also, Duke back then was not what Louisville is now where they had all the success the national championships, the final fours, everything to where that job wasn't as pressure packed as Louisville is now. There there wasn't the social media age and all that stuff as well. In addition to the fact that there wasn't the transfer portal, it took more time to build a program back then. And, and even in that second year, you could see the pieces of Mike Krzyzewski having Johnny Dawkins, Jay Billis, and you know, all those guys that ended up, going to the Final Four in 1986 and losing to Louisville in the title game. But Corey Alexander brought up the fact that Tony Bennett, back in 2010, was booed in year two. And that that year two was too early to judge a coach. And Eric Crawford, again, th- this is the Eric Crawford point, pointed this out in his column about how terrible of a comp- comparison that is. Because Tony Bennett, in year two at Virginia, and let me get this straight, if a coach went 15 and 16 and 16 and 15 his first two years at Louisville, no one be hailing that as a great success. But if 
that's where you took the program over a couple years ago. You're I, I don't think you're firing the coach if you're if you're taking over from the point where Kenny Payne took the program over. But Tony Bennett went 15 and 16 and 16 and 15 in those first two years. Kenny Payne through a year and a half is nine and thirty-six. Those are two incredibly different situations. That's not a fair comparison. Crawford also noted that Tony Bennett won four road games in year two, was finished 103rd in Ken Palm. After Wednesday night's game, Kenny Payne has lost 22 straight on the road. Louisville hasn't won a game as a program since Chris Mack was the coach back on January 2nd of 2022 at Georgia Tech. It's been over two years as a program. And obviously, Kenny wasn't around for most of them. Well, he has been around for most of them, for all of them. But he's in his second year, and he's lost 22 straight road games. And I think something like a dozen of them by double digits. And whereas Tony Bennett was 103rd in Ken Palm, Louisville's 206th in Ken Palm this year after being 290th last season. Plus, Tony Bennett, for what it's worth, did take Washington State to a pair of NCAA tournaments, so there was proof of him doing that in the past, whereas Kenny Payne had never been a head coach before. So... To compare it to Tony Bennett, again, Eric Crawford put this beautifully and in his column on WDRB, to me, is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And on the point of the fans, look, I think Louisville fans understand that that they were very lucky and fortunate for the better part of, I guess, you know, you could even go back to Peck Heckman, the fact that from 1945 to 2017, they had four head coaches and and Peck Hickman kind of established the program. You guys know how it goes. Denny Crum, phenomenal, two titles, all the Final Fours, all that. I mean, like, you know, I've said this on this podcast, both before I was the host with Greer as the producer and probably as the host at some point as well. You know, there's two really big generations that are Louisville fans, and that's that's the, the group that grew up in the 70s and 80s under Denny Crum where they saw them go win the two titles, go to the six Final Fours, and have all that success for decades and decades, the golden era of Louisville basketball. And then even, you know, for the for the quote-unquote younger people, I always use myself as, as, as a litmus of it. From 2005 to 2015, when my age is, you know, I was born in 1997. So that's age, you know, seven turning eight years old through... 18 that's you know when you are a sports fan those years in those in that decade Louisville under Rick Pitino made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament eight times or seven times and made six elite eights three final fours and won a national title that is really 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 difficult do you could argue over that stretch and that doesn't even include the 2003 team that if Ellis Miles didn't blow his knee out had a very real chance of of being a national title contender as well they were number two in the country when when Miles blew his knee out now and ended up being a four seed losing to Butler getting upset in the round of 32 but you know Reese Gaines Garcia Taekwondo Dean I love that team I mean that, that's you know kind of the first team I really remember following as a kid but 2005 to 2015 for people, you know, either exactly my age or in kind of their early, mid, late 20s, that's what we grew up on in the city of Louisville. We saw that. <laughs> so even though we didn't see the Chrome era, which was the gold era, we saw the silver era, which was pretty, pretty damn good. And as good of a decade that any program in the country had 
then. I mean, Kentucky had all the final fours with Cal in the early 2010s, but they didn't, they weren't, in, they had, they weren't in the second weekend from 2005 until Cal got there in 2010. I mean, Duke won a national title in 2010, but I couldn't count. I think that was the only time they were in the final four between 05 and 15. I mean, Carolina, obviously, multiple final fours in a title. They were phenomenal. Florida won the two national championships. But Louisville was one of the best three, four programs in the country over that decade. And I don't think Louisville fans are expecting them to be that every single year where you're literally in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament 70% of the time for a decade. But they do want to get there every once in a while. I feel like that's kind of the bar for like a Louisville for, you know, I mean, Indiana grad, I know that you can check that off the bingo card, but, but, you know, Indiana obviously has not been to the second weekend very often since they last made the final four in 2002. They've only been the second weekend, I think three times since 1993, but for these programs, that's kind of the bar of, okay, we get it. The NCAA tournament, you know, kind of fluky things can happen. You make the sweet 16, it may not always be the best thing in the world. We may we may want more some years. This has, you know, the Terrence Williams um, number one overall seed team that lost to Michigan State in the 2009 Elite Eight. But we understand. You do that enough, eventually you're going to break through. Louisville fans, I, I don't think, are expecting to be in the Sweet 16 every single year, but they do expect to be better than 428. They expect to be better than 9 and 36 in, in, in a two-year span. They expect to be in the NCAA tournament being competitive with the best teams in the country and not being a laughing stock. And that's what they've become under the first, you know, the end of Mac and and the Mike Begeese mini era, but especially under Kenny Payne, they become a laughing stock. So no, I I don't think it's fair to to blame the fans for not showing up. Give them a reason to show up and, and, and you know what? They'll probably show up. That's just my two cents on it anyways. So that's all we got here, Floyd Treats Finest, for this edition. Went a little bit longer than I thought I would. I tend to do that. And anyone that's listened to me for any amount of time knows I love to talk. I love to ramble. I love the sound of my own voice probably a bit too much. But <laughs> appreciate you t- tuning in to this edition of Floyd Treats Finest, part of the Field of 68 Media Network will be back probably either later this weekend or early next week. We'll get a guest on here or, or coach and really flush things out even more. But until next time, I'm Jack Grossman. Thanks for tuning in. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.